Welcome to Our Lord's Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to be mobilized to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit OLCC.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at OLCCOKC. So we're in part two of our series on our mission, values, and vision. Last week, we looked at being a community of worship, and typically we focus on a passage of scripture, but during series like this, we're kind of looking at different themes, so you can have your Bible ready. We'll be working through some different passages in scripture. I've been thinking about this proverb, 2918 this week and during this series and Proverbs 29:18 says that without vision people perish. And so the opposite of that is with vision God's people thrive and we align ourselves with God's kingdom purposes for us and for our church. And that's a big part of what we're doing, looking, revisiting our vision, our mission, our values is to receive fresh vision from God. God continues to be good to us, providing us with vision, purpose, and faith so that we can come alongside him and do his work. Thankfully, Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, he promises to build his church. We talked about this last week, that he is a master builder. Jesus is. And we are his friends. We're his co-workers. So we're looking at some of the the biblical blueprints, biblical vision that's in scripture so that we can come alongside him and be a center for equipping and mobilizing and training the saints all over our region, all over our country, and all over the world. Because when you're connected with him, he has an ever-expanding vision. He wants to do things here in neighborhoods around us. He wants to do things in our city, but he also has big plans, big vision. And so when we're connected to him, there is no limit. And so we are leaning into that. He wants to raise people up from among us and bring people from all over so that we can send them all over the world where God's at work. So today we're going to be looking at the second part of our mission statement. Kaylee said it. We're a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. So I've put that up here on the slide, our mission statement. And then the next slide has the second piece that we're looking at. We're a community of formation. So this morning, I want us to reflect on three things related to formation. And the first is, what in the heck is it? What is spiritual formation? And secondly, how does scripture describe formation? And I'll say those two interchangeably. Sometimes I'll say spiritual formation. Sometimes I'll just say formation for short. And then thirdly, how does spiritual formation happen? And we're going to look at some really practical exercises, some practices that help us cultivate formation in our everyday lives. So Lord, we just turn to you right now and ask for a spirit of wisdom and of revelation that you would teach us from your word. Would you open our minds and our hearts to your truth? 
about being formed into your image. Amen. So the first thing we're looking at is what is spiritual formation? What do we mean by spiritual formation? If this is part of our mission, we need to know very clearly what it is. And put simply, it is the process of growing in Christ-likeness. Let's say that together. The process of growing in Christ-likeness. That was pretty weak. Can we do it again? We have football hangover, don't we? So the process of growing in Christ-likeness. So that's God's aim for us, and so that should be a part of our mission. Part of what we lean into is the Father has in his heart for his sons and daughters to be like Jesus. We're going to talk about that more. This has overlapping meaning with some of the other terms that come out of Scripture that we're familiar with. Sanctification, for example, the process of being made holy by God. It also overlaps with renewal of the mind and the heart, doesn't it? The transformation of our thinking and of our affections. And these kinds of things are more familiar to Christians in the West, to Protestants in particular, sanctification and renewal. There's another word that speaks of formation, and most of the Eastern Christians, so this would be the Orthodox Church, they talk about something called theosis. It's a Greek word that basically means growing in likeness to God through your union with Jesus. And so we're going to be looking at some of these things in Scripture and where they stem from. If you look from the beginning of the story, we talk about this quite a bit, Genesis 1.26, you can look there or you can write it down. A key biblical truth from the beginning of the story is that man and woman are created in the image and likeness of God. And so spiritual formation involves the restoration, the renewal of God's image in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. It involves reformation and transformation of sinful human beings into the fullness of our created purpose. This is a lifelong process, isn't it? Can I get an amen on that? It doesn't just happen in a month or a week or one encounter with God. Yes, all of those things matter. We have intense moments, and the Lord can do in an instant. The Lord can take a broken sinner and take us on a quantum leap forward through rebirth or through reformation, but it is a lifelong process. So I want to tell you today, including you young people, that this is something you have to give yourself to. From the cradle to the grave, it involves rebirth, and it leads you all the way to your death in Christ. And so we want to take the long view, don't we? That spiritual formation involves an entire life of obedience and leaning into God's purposes for us. So it's a lifelong process of becoming like Jesus. And he's the ideal, isn't he? He's the model. We look to him. He's the ideal human being, and we want to be like him in his love and his spiritual health, his maturity, his mercy, his hospitality toward everyone. The first verse I want us to look at as we're looking at what is formation is 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. 
you want to look there, you can grab a pew Bible. And I've mentioned that I'm going to more sparingly put slides up here because I want you to look it up. I want you to get more and more familiar with the scriptures. So 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18, if you want to use the table of contents at the front of the Pew Bible, you can do that. We're all growing and learning, becoming more familiar with the scriptures. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. The Apostle Paul says this, and this is one of the great passages on spiritual formation. I think Kaylee taught on this at youth this week. It's on God's heart. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. We're going to look more at this passage as the morning unfolds, but this is key. And really what we see in this is that all Christians are being transformed into the image of Jesus, and we're having the image of God in us renewed, and it's from one degree of glory to another. And friends, I just want to say that we do have a part to play, but God is radically committed to our spiritual formation. That's our starting point. The Father is eternally, radically, sovereignly, omnipotently committed to having the image of God reformed in you through the Holy Spirit. Look at Philippians 1.6. This shows us just how committed God the Father is to our spiritual formation, to our reformation, to our renewal in Jesus. Philippians 1.6. The NIV says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, the Lord is committed. So what he starts in you, what he starts in me, what he starts in the sister, the brother, your spouse, in Christ, it will be completed. And that is our foundation. The Father is committed radically to forming Christ in us. Look at Colossians 1.29. Then we'll look at the second part here, how does Scripture describe it. But Colossians 1.29 Another key passage on spiritual formation. Again, if you think in terms of Paul writing these letters to these churches that are all planted in deeply pagan cities. We talked about that at length with Corinth. And the same is true for all of these. The church at Philippi and now the Colossian church. The Apostle Paul is looking into the church that's been planted in enemy territory and listen to what he says to the church. For this purpose, I also labor, striving according to his power, God's power, 
which mightily works within me. So Paul is saying here that not only will God bring the completion, bring the work to completion, but it is his power that is at work. His power that's at work in the Apostle Paul so that he can do what he's called to do, but it's the power of God at work in the church, working mightily. And so what's our part? Our part is to cooperate with God's energizing grace and power that is always working in us. The second thing about spiritual formation I want us to look at is how in the world does scripture describe it? We're touching on it a little bit here. The biblical language that's used, our faith in Christ, our union with Jesus and his baptism, and our ongoing apprenticeship to Jesus. I'm just going to mention some passages, and you can go back and look at those. Chris sang about some of them, read some of them, but in Matthew, Matthew 11, 28 says this, that Christians take on the yoke of Jesus, the rabbi, and we learn from him. And that speaks to spiritual formation. It's the language of being his apprentice. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, you're part of his church, then the yoke of Jesus is laid on you and you come alongside him to learn from him for your entire life. Luke 6.40 says this, that the disciple is fully trained and becomes like the teacher. That's what we're after in spiritual formation is that we would be fully trained by Jesus and that we would become like him. Chris mentioned John 15, three to five and eight through 11, another thing you can go back and look at, but it speaks to abiding and remaining in Jesus and his word and having Christ and his word abide and remain in us. That is the stuff of spiritual formation. Look at Galatians 4.19. This is one of the most important of the whole morning. Galatians 4.19. This is one of the clearest places where we would actually lift the word from Scripture and weave it into our mission statement. Paul says to the church at Galatia, my little children for whom I am again in the pain of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So the apostle Paul's looking at the church at Galatia and he's saying, God is determined to form Christ in you. And so that is what spiritual formation is about. And that is what we lean into here. That is what we pray for. That is what we work toward, energized by the grace and power of God, is from the youngest to the oldest, that Christ would be formed in each of us. Colossians 1.27, Paul says that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So this is a thread, a theme that runs through the entire New Testament. God is determined to form Christ in you and in me. And he's resolved to do it. And we're to partner with him in that. Is that a glorious thought there? Christ formed 
in you. Christ formed in us. And the Lord looks at the church made up of individuals and says, I am committed individually to seeing my son formed in you. And I'm committed collectively to seeing the character of Jesus formed in you. Galatians 5, through 25 speaks of this. Perhaps we haven't looked at it in this context before. It's the same letter that Paul is writing. So in Galatians 4, 19, he's saying, God is going to form Christ in you. And then the next chapter, he shows a little bit of what that looks like. And it's about the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? It's about being guided by the Spirit. It's having the fruits of the Spirit formed and cultivated and growing in us. This is some of the biblical language used to describe spiritual formation. One other one I want us to look at, and it's probably less familiar, is 2 Peter 1.4. This one is rather startling. I want to read it and point it out to you. 2 Peter 1.4, toward the end of the New Testament there. And this is one of those passages, our eyes might run over the words, but if we'll really linger with it and look at it, it says some things in there that almost are difficult to grasp, difficult to believe. So 2 Peter 1.4, thus God has given us through these things his precious and very great promises so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust. And this is it right here and may become participants or partakers of the divine nature. Is that what your Bible says? Whether it's NRSV, NIV, or ESV, it should say something along that line that God gives us the promises of Scripture, all that the Old Testament promises, all the New Testament Scriptures, these are given to the church so that through them we can escape the corrosive effects of sin and lust, the work of the enemy. And then look at the text here. Through these very same promises, as we meditate on them and obey them and become people of the word, we share in the nature of God. You pondered that before? So as Christ is formed in you and in me, we participate in, we partake of the very nature of God. Yes, this gets weird, and there are cults that claim to be Christian. That is not what we're talking about. They would take an idea like this and distort it. The Mormon church, for example, the text is saying here that Christians, through the word of God, through union with Christ, praying and believing these things, committing to a life of obedience, we actually partake of God's very nature. But we always remain creatures, don't we? Nothing happens where suddenly we become God. That's not what the text says, is it? That is a distortion. But we become like God. We become like the Father. The love of the Father begins to take root in us and flow through our lives. The character of Jesus. Some of the ancient Christians came up with this word picture that I think is really cool, really helpful. And it's like iron 
placed in fire. So if you're going to make a sword, for example, you would take the iron and pound it out and then stick it in the fire. And if you do that long enough, that iron looks like fire. It takes on the character of fire and it glows red, orange, but at no point does that iron become fire. It's always iron. And the same is true with us. When this passage speaks of this, participating in, partaking of the divine nature, somehow in the grace of God, we are thrust into the character of God. And he is a consuming fire. He's infinitely holy and beautiful and powerful. And just by being in that relationship and through intimacy and friendship and obedience, our lives are transformed and we take on his character. But we're always creatures made by the Father. A third thing, how does formation happen? What practices are involved in formation? Part of our vision says this, and this is online. We have it printed up in the Resource Center. But it talks about here at our church that we will increasingly publish books and materials that facilitate spiritual growth, educating regarding the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and equip the saints for leadership and ministry. And we have that churning right now. Many people on our staff, God is giving them revelation. Right, Esther? And so we are hearing from God along, thing, uh, along the lines of spiritual formation. And so I anticipate in the coming days, the coming years, that we will have materials, we'll have books. I mentioned it last week. We'll have music pouring out of our community that deals with spiritual formation. Christ formed in us. So when we look at how does this happen, how does spiritual formation happen? Imagine you want a garden. Do we have any gardeners in here? I'm kind of a wannabe gardener. I've, wanted, I've talked to Amanda about it for years and I actually planted a garden this year and I'm learning hard lessons of what to do and what not to do. I was tempted to take a picture and put it up here, but it's a little embarrassing. It's a little mutant looking and those experienced gardeners might say, well, why are those things mingled like that? What is, I can't tell if that's tomatoes or what is that? So it hasn't gone too bad, but I've learned some, some truths, some wisdom that ties into spiritual formation. And if you want a garden, then you should speak with someone about how to garden. So I've talked with Connie and others about how do you get this going? Gretchen is an experienced gardener. So you've got to do some practical things. You've got to get consultation from people, and if you're lucky, you can have someone come to your house. You've got to open the gate for them, let them come in and pick the place, prepare the soil, and help plant the seeds in the plants. And you have to listen to their instruction if you don't know what you're doing, like me, and you have to water and care for the garden and implement what they say and be committed to it. If you don't, then your garden looks kind of like mine. I've got half of it. Would you say half of it looks okay and half of it is not going so well? But nonetheless, I've started. And so with spiritual formation, you cooperate 
with the Father, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, as they plant and prune and grow us, transforming us into a garden of God's presence where fruit is bountiful. The Lord, the scriptures talk about it. Look at Acts 2.42. The Lord established practices in the early church that helped the early believers to experience formation, to have Christ formed in them. This is one of our favorites around here, Acts 2.42. And hidden in these few words here are some practical exercises about spiritual formation. Acts 2.42 this would be a good one to memorize, to meditate on. It says this, they, that's the early believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Your translation might say, and to prayer. So here we get to see the early church in Acts 2, after Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. These 120 are given to daily nourishment on the scriptures and to fellowship, to koinonia, to friendship and relationship with one another and community, to the breaking of bread. Wasn't it nice to break bread again last week? Communion, the Lord's Supper. But they did it in a context of a shared meal in someone's home. And then lastly, the church gave themselves to prayer, regular daily prayer together. And for them it was in the synagogue and then in one another's homes. So I want us to take a minute to look at more specifically some other tools, some other practices that can help us grow in spiritual formation. I've got a slide up here that lists quite a few. You can look up here. What is that? 11 different spiritual practices. And we could double that size there. There are many on the menu, many different ways to experience spiritual formation. And the ones that are underlined are the ones that we're going to focus on briefly. But prayer, meditation, fasting, confession, solitude, silence, study, worship, giving, fellowship, chastity. Might seem like kind of an older, antiquated word, that last one, but it's basically singleness unto the Lord. Holiness, sexual purity, that's what what that is, and that is an exercise, a spiritual practice. So the first one I want us to look at is reading and praying scripture. I want this to be practical. This is something that we talk about regularly, and there's a reason for it, because if we don't do it, then spiritual formation isn't going to happen. It is at the top of the list. Reading and praying scripture. We schedule daily time in the Lord's presence prayerfully reading his word. Notice I say prayerfully reading because I don't know about you, but if I get on a Bible reading plan, sometimes my goal is to finish that reading for the day. Maybe 10 minutes, maybe 15, maybe 20, and I am not interacting with God at all. It's kind of a race through the text. That's not what we're talking about. Spiritual formation, Christ being formed in us through the Holy Spirit happens as we prayerfully read Scripture. Look at Luke 10, 38 through 39. You get to see an example of what interacting with Jesus looks like. Your Bible open, your time with him. Look at Luke 10, 38 through 39. 
Jesus is in the home of Mary and Martha. Look at verse 38. Now as they were traveling along, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was also seated at the Lord's feet and was listening to his word. So in spiritual formation, daily reading and praying scripture looks like this. You, in your time with the Lord, wherever that might be, a quiet place, comfy chair for you, kneeling by your bed, in your car, your posture is, I am seated at the Lord's feet. I'm listening to his word. I'm interacting with him. We're going to talk about this in a minute, but we pray the Bible. A second thing, along with reading and praying scripture, is prayer. We've already looked at 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18, the passage about being transformed into the same image. I'm going to read it again. It's key. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled face, are seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. So friends, as you are interacting with the Lord, you're in prayer, your Bible's open, you're praying the scriptures, this is the beautiful thing that's happening. The Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit is in you, enabling you to look upon the very glory of God. That reframes your quiet time, doesn't it? Your time with the Lord. You are actually enabled by the Holy Spirit to look upon the glory of God in the face of Jesus in the words of Scripture. And as you prayerfully read these things, the character of God and Christ is formed in you from one degree of glory to to another. The Lord has such marvelous plans. It's passages like this that let us know how committed he is to his glorious presence being formed in us. A form of prayer we talk about around here is arrow prayers. What's an arrow prayer? It's a short phrase from the Bible that we meditate on. We lift it from a passage of scripture. And ideally, if you're doing that in the morning, then you've got it with you the rest of the day in the quiver of your mind, in your heart, And you can use it throughout the day to counter-speak, to speak against the lies of the enemy when you're confronted by sin and temptation and you're finding yourself meditating on the truth of God and you're being transformed. Chief among these is the Jesus prayer. So I couldn't talk about spiritual formation this morning without mentioning the Jesus prayer. The Jesus prayer is 10 words. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, Have mercy on me. Can we say that together? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. It's a pass it comes from Luke 18, other places in the Gospels, so it's rooted in the scriptures. When people would interact with Jesus, they prayed a form of that. Lord Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And friends, I don't know where I would be really over the last 10 years without this prayer. 
I wear it out every day. Amanda and I have been growing and learning how to pray this arrow prayer, and it is always with you. I think that we want to give ourselves to prayerfully reading scripture, meditating on it, memorizing it, but this is one, 10 words that all of us can use. Young people, learn the Jesus prayer. I remember when I started praying it, Jake would say, you're saying that a lot. You know, we'd be in the garage, and I'm saying it because I need the Lord. It's a go-to text. No matter what is washing over you or coming at you, you can turn to Jesus in that moment, turn from whatever it is, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And friends, we're not begging. We're turning to him. We're receiving mercy. We're not pleading and groveling, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And friends, this prayer works. Some of us might say, well, it gets kind of rote, right? Does it get repetitious? It really doesn't. It takes root in your heart, and you find yourself praying it all the time. Amanda and I have been talking about as we go to sleep, it's one of our last prayers, and as we get up in the morning, friends, it does a number on anxiety. So if you have anxiety, I encourage you to practice the Jesus prayer. All right, for the sake of time here, I'm just going to, I want us to look at fasting and then we'll probably end with, with that. Fasting is one of those. It's fun, isn't it? As I mention that, some of you may go, oh, you might throw up in your mouth a little bit. I woke you up, right? Fasting is not, for many of us, the funnest thing to do. Self-denial and self-discipline for a greater good. And it really is kind of in the context of being like spiritual athletes. Friends, if you're a Christian, young people, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a spiritual athlete. And the Lord wants you to practice certain exercises to feel the burn a little bit because following Jesus isn't meant to be some easy, wonderful endeavor. It actually requires cooperating with the grace of God, cooperating with his empowering grace. And like an athlete, it requires some self-discipline, doesn't it? Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. He says that he is like an athlete. He's like a runner. He's like a boxer. And he is playing to win. He is totally given over to this, given over to the grace of God in Jesus, to being trained, to being prepared, so that when the moment comes, he's not faltering, but he's clinging to Jesus, relying on the grace of God, and prepared for battle, kind of like what happened yesterday. Caleb Williams. Do you think that guy just walked into that moment yesterday without some formation? Do you think that Caleb Williams, that freshman quarterback, just slipped into that huge moment yesterday and did what he did without a lot of self-discipline and hard work? I guarantee you behind the scenes, he was studying. He was probably doing some extra cardio some extra weightlifting, maybe some prayer, I don't know. But all I know is the guy stepped into that moment and good things happen. 
because he was prepared. He was formed as a football player. And so I encourage us as spiritual athletes, let's get formed together. Nothing more worthy than having Christ formed in us. At another time, we'll look at things like giving and confession, silence and stillness. But I just want to whet your appetite a little bit. In the coming days, this church will increasingly be talking about and giving ourselves to the idea of spiritual formation. Are you in? Sound good? Having Christ formed in us. And I've said it before, but there's lots of churches that might be more inclined to entertain, to make you feel good, and you come, and I'm not saying that those are necessarily bad things, but here at our church, we are committed radically to having Christ formed in us. And that is what the community is about, cooperating with God's power, his energy that works in us mightily so that Christ can be formed in us. And yes, there's great joy in it, but you hear me on that, right? We're not here to, our staff, our leaders, our elders, we're not here to entertain. We're here to prepare ourselves for battle. I wanted to ask Amanda to come up here quickly as we end. She and I were talking this week, as we always do, and we were talking about spiritual formation, and she brought up a point. And we were talking about prayer and meditation on the Bible and these various practices. And she said, are these practices, are these tools of spiritual formation all that's needed? And we had an interesting discussion around this, and it led to talking about another tool that I wanted to highlight, that in addition to these kinds of spiritual practices, something called inner healing and deliverance. So will you talk about that? We've got some things going on here with inner healing and deliverance, and I wanted you to share and talk about how, in addition to these things, we need something like inner healing and deliverance. I just, uh, in my experience personally, and, and other people I know, sometimes even when you're doing all of these things, you can still get stuck. You can get stuck in unforgiveness or addiction or just wrong thinking even. And sometimes you need help getting unstuck beyond doing these things. And there's lots of ways to do that. Um, we have Sozo here. We have counseling, and then we also have inner healing, um, an inner healing program. And there's a lot of, lot of inner healing programs around, not just ours. But I just wanted to point that out, that that's something also that really has helped form me in my walk. So, How do they learn more? How do they sign on for something like this if they need it, they want to do it? If you're interested in a SOZO, you can go to the website and sign up for a SOZO um, or contact Carolyn McHenry. Um, if you are wanting counseling, um, you can probably contact Esther and she could probably direct you towards somebody. Um, and then if you're interested in our inner healing, um, you contact me. And you can just text me. We, we will eventually have it on the website but it's kind of a longer process, so there's kind of a waiting list, and so sometimes I haven't wanted to like get too many people signed up at once. But we probably in the 
spring would be able to start taking people through. We'd probably be getting through our current waiting list by then, so. And you've done it, right? You've gone through it. And she sold me on it. I did it last summer, eight weeks. Friends, it's uh, transformative. So it really involves a lot of identifying certain places where you're stuck and inviting the Lord into those places and walking out joyful repentance. And so why don't we stand? Let me stay up here. I'm going to ask the ministry team to come up, the worship team. And as Amanda was saying that, I want to encourage you, want you to think about where you might be stuck. And as we talk about reading the scriptures and prayer and fasting and some of these other spiritual practices or exercises, you might think, I've just got some areas of addiction or strongholds and I need to deal with those. So I just want to take a moment here to let you speak with the Lord and to let him search your heart. And in his love and grace and goodness, maybe he wants to highlight something that you could deal with him in prayer today. So Lord, we just take a moment here in quiet to let you search our hearts on where we're stuck would you speak to us? Would you help us?